Hey everyone, welcome to Rolling Hills Online. Wherever you are in the world, we're glad that you're joining us today. In addition to our online campus, we have two physical locations in Franklin and Nolensville. If you're in the Middle Tennessee area, we'd love to meet you in person. If this is your first time joining us, we would like to invite you to check out our new here page at rollinghillscommunity.org. Here, you can find out more about who we are, what we believe, and what to expect when worshiping with us. If you've been with us before and want to find out how to get involved, please visit our Next Steps page. This is where you can learn more about baptism, partnership, missions, community groups, and more. If you're joining us live, we encourage you to jump into our chat. This is a great way to connect with our online community and further discuss today's message. In addition to the chat feature, you will find today's sermon notes and a link to the Bible so that you can follow along. Have something that you would like for us to pray with you about? Click the prayer request link at the bottom of the page. We would be honored to join you in prayer this week. If you feel called to partner with us financially, you can give online through the giving page of our website. Your support allows us to continue this opportunity to share the message of Christ around the world. So thank you. Again, welcome to Rolling Hills. We hope that you feel at home. From beginning to end, He is the same. From dawn to dusk, from death to life, He is eternal. He is sovereign. He is our teacher, our healer, our provider, our redeemer. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name. Good morning. My name is Nick Allen, discipleship pastor here at Rolling Hills. Thrilled to be in this spot. I brought my bottle of water with me today because um, you may know this already. It, you should drink about, for every eight ounces of coffee that you drink, you should have 16 ounces of water. Um, I'm on my way, but it's going to take a whole lot more of this to counteract the coffee that I've already had this morning, which means you're going to need to pay attention because we're going to move quickly through some passages of Scripture that I'm thrilled to get to read through with you today. I, I feel like this. It's not an accident that in the middle of this series, this passage of Scripture um, landed in my lap. I think the Lord orchestrated it because He knows just how very much I love it, and also because it was going to give me a chance to at least kick off this portion of the day um, by telling you a story of something that happened to me last fall that literally opened my eyes to so many things. I went to Fleet Feet in Brentwood for the very first time. Um, unbelievable. Someone, very generous friend of mine, had given me a gift card to go and explore Fleet Feet. You see, I moved out of my parents' house at the year um, when I was 18 years of age, and I think for the last 20 years, do the math, I've been responsible for every single pair of shoes that have gone on these feet, and never in my wildest dreams did I imagine everything that you would experience if you go to a place called Fleet Feet. You know, Target, which is where I tend to get most of my shoes, you just walk in, you find a style that you like, and you hope two things. One, you hope that they have your size on the shelf because they're all available to you right there. And you hope that it's on cartwheels so that you get a better discount than the one they're currently offering. Because Target, FYI, this is a public service announcement for you, 30% is not clearance. You need to up that at least to 50% before we can qualify it to the clearance level. That's not part of the story. But you pick your own shoes. Nobody helps you know what size you need. Nobody helps you know what style is going to look good on you or work for you. All of the decision-making process at the Target is completely 100% up to you. Now, if you step it up a notch, you go to the mall. 
And if you go to the mall, you might wander in a store like Journeys because you're looking for something a little bit edgier, maybe something a little bit more trendy, and you go in because you don't want to just order your Toms online because you won't know about the fit. You want to actually try them on in a physical store. So you show up, and all of the sizes at Journeys are somewhere in the back, which means you need some customer assistance. So 21-year-old Trendy McTrendy is there with her low lights and her lip ring, and she's going to offer you some service that day by helping you know what size you wear. She's going to size your feet. She's going to go to the back to check and see if they have your size in stock. And she might, if she's so inclined, even offer you a tiny little nugget of wisdom by telling you something like, these shoes tend to run narrow. Don't ask her about shock absorption or like arch support, but she can tell you if the shoe runs wide or not. And then she's going to go find your size, sell you some shoes. You're on your way. You've gotten at least a little bit of wisdom that's helped you make the decision. But still, the choice of what shoe to buy is all up to you. Neither of those experiences compare at all to what's going to happen if you go to Fleet Feet. They're not paying me any money to say this, but if somehow they find out and this becomes beneficial to me, I'm not going to be mad at that. Okay, so here's what happens. You go to Fleet Feet and they just talk to you and they get to know you. It is far more like a first date than it is retail. You're just getting to know one another. Kevin got to know me. I got to know Kevin. Here he is finding out about my shoe needs. Then he sizes my foot from every direction. Actually, he sized both feet, which I can't remember the last time somebody did that. Did you know that they're different? Like you may not. Most of us, I Googled it. Most of us have different size feet. We don't even know it. And we're going and buying the same size 11s from Target, not realizing that it's going to fit one foot a little bit better than the other. Okay. So the next thing he does, he goes out and picks some shoes for you. You don't even pick what shoes you get. He comes back with some shoes and then he sits down like Cinderella the morning after and he puts them on your feet for you. I've been doing it wrong. I had no clue. Like 38 years, I've been putting on my own shoes. Well, you know, give or take the first couple of years when my parents were lucky enough to get to do that. But here, I've been for decades putting on my own shoes. I learned that day at Fleet Feet, I've been doing it wrong. Not since Kevin. He showed me the right way to do it. I put my shoes on differently now. He assesses the fit while you're sitting, while you're standing, while you're walking, and also running through the parking lot in front of all of the other businesses, knowing that there's some guy trying on shoes, now taking a lap around the parking lot. And I'm going, he's watching me, crouching tiger, hidden dragon, checking out how my feet look in these shoes. Then he asks you another series of questions, which if I'm being real honest, were more difficult to answer than any of the job interviews that I've ever been on, including this one. And here I am, finally getting to the bottom of the decision where we pick some shoes and I walk out of there having spent more money on shoes than I've ever spent before. Thankfully, it was from a gift card. Lord, love you. Okay, here's the deal. I didn't even pick them out. He did it for me because he's an expert and I'm apparently clueless. You know, the world operates like a target. You walk in, you pick out exactly what you want. and If they have it, then you can You can walk out with it. The decision is all up to you. And popular culture will give you tiny little nuggets of pseudo-wisdom along the way to help you make your decisions. But there is only one expert. And I don't know why you're here today. I hope it's not to hear me talk because I'm a jack of a few trades and a master of none. But I know the master of it all. And, And when we come to this book... And when we come to this service and we come to this, uh, this worship-filled activity, what we're doing is walking up to an expert and saying, I need you. 
I, I trust you. Your, your wisdom is better than mine. Your plans are better than mine. And I want to follow you. That's what we do today. We consult an expert. Not just an expert, but the expert on everything. We've engaged in a couple of different characteristics of Jesus through this series. Uh, we've talked about Jesus being eternal. We've talked about Jesus being sovereign. And both of those things can be true of Jesus. He can be completely eternal. Here from before the beginning, he can be completely sovereign Lord over absolutely everything and still not be real and personal to you. This today is when it starts to matter. When he becomes not just sovereign Lord, but holy healer. It's Jesus that we lean into today. It's Jesus that we seek today. It's Jesus that we need today because he alone is, he's the expert. And so God, we come to you today and we ask that you would speak to us through your word and through your teaching, that we would somehow get to know you more because when we get to know you more and we experience who you are and what your power is, then we can trust you more. And when we trust you more, we will desire to follow you more. And God, our lives would be wrecked and changed because of it. And, and so Jesus, we pray today that you would speak, that you would speak to people and that lives would be changed because of who you are. Jesus, what you can do points us to who you are we want to see you today. We want to know you today. We want to follow you today. You alone are healer. And it's in your holy, precious, perfect healing name that we pray. Amen. So we're in the book of John, chapter 5 this week. And if you have your Bibles and you want to flip there really quickly, it's in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. We designate these books as gospels, not because, well, it just means good news. And ultimately, I think everything in this book, cover to cover, Genesis through Revelation, is good news and could be classified as gospel to us. But these four books have a, a, a special mark because these are the moments when Jesus was alive as a human and breathing and walking among disciples. And we encounter today not just his teaching, but also his healing. And so if you want to tune in, with a Bible, that's great. If you've got a mobile device that has Bible verses on it, awesome. Or they're just going to magically appear on a screen for you to follow along. I'm going to start in John chapter 5, verse 1. It says this, Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem near the sheep gate, that's where the shepherds would bring in the sheep, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. We're going to pop a picture up on the screen because that's also magic, where you can kind of see this area where we believe it to be around the city wall of Jerusalem. And so that down there in the bottom, that's a, a pool surrounded by these columns. And here's what would happen. You read about it in verse 3. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie. Right on that grassy knoll around the pool, they would lie, not tell untruths about themselves, but literally lay down. The blind, the lame, the paralyzed. And then you notice something interesting about your Bible is that it skips verse 4. And the reason your Bible skips verse 4 is because your Bible is basing all of its text on the oldest 
original manuscripts of Scripture that we have, which does not include verse 4, what we understand is that a copy editor at some point in time added this verse, not to change the meaning of the text or not to make us stray off of what the text means, but to provide some support for why in the world those people would be chilling out by the pool. Are they working on their tans? He explains why. If your Bible doesn't have verse 4, it probably has like a little notation or a footnote for you to go to the bottom and figure out where verse 4 went. Well, here it is. It reads, waiting for the moving of the water. So here, all of these invalid people, the lame, the paralyzed, those who could not walk, are laying by the pool, waiting for the moving of the water. Because, verse 4, an angel would go down into the pool from time to time and stir up the water. Then the first one who got in after the water was stirred up recovered from whatever ailment he had. The reason why there was such a large crowd of invalids laying around that pool is because there was some superstition involved. They thought that every time the water moved, it meant that an angel went over and circled their toe inside of it, sending out a ripple effect so that the first survival of the fittest one who could get into the water would miraculously be healed. And we don't know if that was rooted in an actual circumstance or if it was just some rumor that spread over time. But for whatever reason, these superstitious people were lying beside this pool, hoping hoping that today would be the day that the water would move and that they would be the first one in so that they could experience healing. So they waited, and you go past verse 4, which may or may not be present, into verse 5, and it says, one who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. I'm connecting with this because I know something about 38 years. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. How many, how many prayers do you think he prayed? How many methods do you think he explored? How many people do you think that he begged? Help me be first. Give me, give me a lift. I'm, I'm in, how many tears do you think this guy shed? In verse 6, when Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Verse seven, sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me get into the pool when the water is stirred. While I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk at once. That's my favorite part of this passage, at once. The man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. I find the interaction between Jesus and this man a little funny because Jesus says to him, do you want to get well, and the man doesn't reply, yes, do I want to get well. I'm laying behind this, beside this pool because I want to get well. I've been begging all of these people who walk by to help me be the first into the water. Yes, I, he doesn't pronounce, absolutely, I want to get well. He offers an excuse. He says, I'll never be first. No one's ever going to help me. He offered an, an excuse. He'd given up hope of ever finding what he needed, so he just laid there. What do you need? What is it that you're begging God for? What is it that you've explored all sorts of methods and prayed all kinds of prayers and shed all kinds of tears, just hoping that the God of this universe would somehow stir up something in your life so that you could be healed and changed? Jesus said, do you want to get well? And he said, it'll never happen. Somebody always beats me. Somebody always makes it there first. And then Jesus says, get up and walk. He didn't say, get up and go touch yourself into the water. He just says, get up and walk. And 
So he did. Here's what I want us to know. It's in your notes this morning. God can always heal. God can always heal. If you go to the book of Matthew, you don't have to turn there. I'll read it. In chapter 9, verse 35, it says, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. That doesn't mean that every single person that had any kind of infirmity was healed. What it means is that Jesus could heal every kind of disease and sickness. There was nothing outside the bounds of his power to heal. God can always heal. But we have to know a, a coordinating truth. It's that God doesn't always heal. What did verse 3 say? It says a great number of invalid people lay beside the pool. How many did he heal? Just one. Just one got what they were looking for and desperate for that day. God can always heal. But God doesn't always heal. Sometimes we know because of the truths of Scripture that when God heals, it is in response to faith. If you're in Luke chapter 8, you read a familiar story of a woman who had been bleeding for like 11 years, internally bleeding, and she was desperate for healing. And she knew enough about Old Testament Scripture that said one day there was going to be a prophet, a Messiah, who would rise up and lead his people, and he was going to have healing in his wings. And wings didn't mean that he was going to have like, I don't know, feathers on his back. Wings meant the tassels, the edges of his garments. It was called tzitzit. And the rabbis would wear these prayer shawls, and they would have tassels on the corner to remind them of who God is. It was in instructed for them to wear those things way back in the book of Numbers. And so they knew that one day there would come a healer who just by the touch of the edge of his garment would have everything that we need. And so this woman pressed in on crowded streets and made her way to Jesus because she believed that he was the one that the book of Malachi said would rise with healing in his wings, that he was the Messiah who would come. And she wasn't reaching to tap Jesus on the shoulder and to get his attention and say, Lord, help me. She just wanted to touch the edge because she knew that because of what Scripture said, if she had faith and reached out, she would be healed. And Jesus felt it, not just the tugging of the garment, but he felt the power leave him. And so he turned around and said, who did this? And she approached and he said, daughter, your faith has healed you. We know that sometimes in scripture, that as a response to faith, God heals. But it's not like this in John chapter 5. Because if you continue in verse 9, it says, the day on which this took place was the Sabbath. We'll come back to that because that matters a lot. The day on which this took place was the Sabbath. And so the Jewish leaders said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Jesus didn't heal this guy in response to this faith because this guy didn't even know who Jesus was. This guy didn't even know to seek this holy teacher healer who was traveling to town for the holiday that week. He didn't know to place his faith in the stranger that he met by the pool that day. He didn't have faith in Jesus because he didn't even recognize Jesus. Sometimes God heals in response to our faith, and other times God heals just to extend to us his grace. We don't deserve it. And Jesus was overlooking this man's cluelessness. He was overlooking his superstition. He was overlooking his poor theology and his lack of faith and decided to heal him anyway. Sometimes God heals in response to faith. Other times it's just to offer grace Every time, 
every single time. It's to change uh, life. Ultimately, Jesus didn't leave the guy clueless there. It, it picks up in verse 14. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, see, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who made him well. Jesus told him, hey, listen, I've healed you. Be changed. Be different. Sometimes God heals in response to faith every, every time. It's to change a life. This one in particular taught a really valuable lesson because it happened on the Sabbath That whole Sabbath bit, it was a really big deal. You see, Jews knew not to operate on the Sabbath. They knew they had rules and lists of regulations of things that you were allowed to do and things that you weren't allowed to do on this specific day of the week called the Sabbath. For 38 years, this man was unable to walk. For 38 years, this man who would have loved to have been able to carry his own mat relied on the kindness of strangers to carry it for him because he couldn't carry it on his own. And now 38 years, the day that God chose to heal him happened to be the Sabbath and the instructions were to get up and walk and carry your mat. Do you know which rule that man was breaking? Number 39. You can't carry anything. And the Pharisees were furious because the Pharisees liked rules more than people. The Pharisees liked to maintain control more than they liked to celebrate miracles. And a guy who had been unable able to walk and carry a mat for 38 years was instructed on the one day out of the week that you weren't allowed to carry your mat to get up and carry his mat. None of that was a shock to Jesus. In fact, I believe Jesus chose that day for a reason. Everything about these miracles give Jesus an opportunity to express who he is. If you pick back up in verse 16, Jesus explains more. So, Because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defense, Jesus said to them, my father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. You see, when Jesus heals, it's not just to heal, although that's great He used healing as a way to display his power and emphasize an even greater truth, a truth about who he is. And when we experience healing, it's so that we too can not just see and experience the power of God, but so that we can know who Jesus is. As I want you to hear today um, a testimony from a woman in our church She's serving in kids' ministry this morning, leading worship with elementary schoolers. And a couple of weeks ago, Pastor Chase, who's teaching at our Nolansville campus today, got the chance to interview her about healing in her own life. And pay attention not just to the miracle that occurred that healed her physical infirmity, but, but to the way that it transformed the way she thought about Jesus. This is Amy. Well, welcome. Um, here with me, I have Amy Couch, and she is mother of Lorelai. Uh, Lorelai uh, just turned two, and her husband is Philip. And Amy, we're so thankful that you're here with us. Um, she is an awesome 
um, woman of faith, and she also serves in our kids' ministry. Yes. Um, yes, and she does a fantastic job. So Amy is here to share her story of healing. And, and Amy, I just, um, for you know, everybody, they don't know your story. So give us a little bit of background and um, what led to your story, ultimately story of healing. Okay, well, when I was 11 years old, I started to get very sick. Um, it was very strange. We didn't really know what was going on, but um, it got to the point where I had to be hospitalized. And I was actually in the hospital for about three weeks with doctors doing lots and lots of tests. Um, they came up with the diagnosis of Wegener's granulomatosis. Still not entirely sure if that's what it was, but that's kind of what they told me it was at that point. Um, but what happens is it can affect pretty much any part of your body. Um, but for me, it kind of destroyed my kidneys. Um, so I went into acute renal failure, is what they call when your kidneys fail. And I had to go through dialysis for a while where they had to filter my blood for me. Um, and they also just had to keep me kind of in the hospital for a really long time to just try to help me get enough kidney function. And thankfully, miraculously, um, God made it to where I had enough kidney function, about 25% of one kidney um, worked, and that was enough to allow me to get off of dialysis and to just kind of live my life as a kid and a teenager for quite a while, which was really nice. Wow. And so you were 11 at the time. That, that means you're a fifth grader, right? Yes. And so, um, you know, as a fifth grader, you know, getting your, trying to get your head wrapped around what's going on in your body, how did you trust God through that time? As I was going through this, especially as I was hospitalized, um, my mom was there every single day, and she always, always made sure I understood that it wasn't me, it wasn't God punishing me, it was something that was going to be part of a greater story later on. So tell us more about what happened from there. So you're 11, you, you live a long, long time with this, and it finally came to a head before you were 21. And, and tell us about um, your kind of miracle story. Well, um, like you said, I went for almost 10 years with 25% usage of one kidney, and I lived basically a normal life. All through high school, I was in the color guard, so I twirled flags for our high school band. I was very active in theater and acting, and when I graduated, I graduated at the top of my class, so it didn't hinder me all that much. Um, when I went to college, the first year was fine. I had a scholarship for theater, and I have a degree in theater, so I'm very crazy that way. I like to be artistic. But um, my second year of college, about, I believe it was February or March, I started noticing that I was moving slower. Um, I was more tired than I was before, and I think what really got it was my feet wouldn't fit in my shoes anymore. We, I called my mom, we went to the doctor, and my doctor said, it's time. It's time we start looking for a kidney for you because it's not lasting anymore. Um, so I had to go on dialysis again while we were waiting, and they decided that the best course of action was not to put me on the transplant list because that could be a really long wait, but to start um, testing 
the people around me who would be willing to donate. We tested three people, my mom, my sister, and an uncle by marriage. Um, and all three of them were miraculously a match. So my mom actually ends up being my kidney donor. Yes, and it all happened in summer, uh, right before I turned 21. Wow, and, and so um, your mom stepped in the gap, and, and through that experience, how did that help you understand and know God better? Um, but even more than that, I think you talk a little bit about helping you understand salvation. Yes. Um, I was baptized when I was in third grade um, by my grandfather, and I was a professing Christian since I was eight years old. Um, but I think it's really hard for kids and even teenagers sometimes to understand the idea of salvation um, and God sending part of himself down because it's not just his son, but the Holy Trinity is three in one. So God was literally sending a part of himself down. Um, but I think the transplant and it didn't really occur to me until after everything kind of settled down and I was really thinking about it. But knowing that my mother, um, who loves me more than anything else, well, besides my sister, of course, um, who loves me desperately and wants to make sure I am a happy person and I'm alive and I'm content and I'm healthy, um, her giving up a part of herself to make sure that I can live just like she wants me to live. Um, it kind of hit home more than anything else was that my mother for me was representing what God did as well. When God gave up a part of himself, Jesus Christ, and let him die on the cross for us, um, being able to see that in my mom and her sacrifice of part of her own body to give me life was something that really helped me understand how much God really loves us, how much he sacrificed for us, because he gave up more than a kidney. He gave up his whole person so that we could be alive and be saved and be with him. And I think that was probably one of the most important aspects of my story that I gained from it was just knowing that I have this physical reminder inside of me every single day of the love that my mother has for me. Just like we should have a spiritual reminder every single day of the love that God has for us, that he would give up a part of himself for us. Everything about the healing in John pointed to a greater truth about Jesus who he was, the, the, the son of God, a, an actual savior. Everything about healing in Amy's life points to a greater truth about who God is and what he can do. You can't miss what happens after this occurrence and after so many occurrences like this in scripture. In John chapter six, if you fast forward to verse two, it says, and a great crowd of people followed him. That's Jesus. They followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Why do you follow Jesus? 
Is it because somehow he gives you the key to a community of faith that you want to be a part of and that you know is good for you? Great. Is it because it's part of some religious debt or obligation that you feel or some kind of training or upbringing that you had? That's uh, what a lot of people struggle with. Is it because you somehow feel the cultural influence of living in a, a Bible belt situation where it's just part of the way people do life? Or is it because you know inside your bones that he alone is Lord, he alone is sovereign, he alone is healer, he alone has the keys to everything about eternal life, and he's the expert that you want to go to, and he is the source of a life change and the ultimate provider of everything that we could possibly need. Healing wasn't just healing. It was a window into the glory of God, of who he is and what he does. I love John chapter 9. It's another expression of, of why God heals. In John chapter 9, verse 1, it says, As he went along, this is Jesus, he saw a man blind from birth. This kid was born that way. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, teacher, who sinned? This man or his parents, because there was a common belief that anytime somebody had something wrong with them, it was God's punishment for who they were, and that's not true. So who sinned that he was born blind? And Jesus said, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Susan and I, my wife, we connect with this passage because our little boy, Simon, age four, was born with cystic fibrosis. It's... Um, a, a disease that affects lung function and other major organ function on the digestive tract. And it, about 30,000 Americans have it, 70,000 people worldwide, and it has a, a lot of implications. And therapeutic advancements and modern medicine, by the grace of God, have gone a long way to improve both the quality of life and the longevity of life for people living with CF. Guess what the current life expectancy average is for people living with CF, 38 years of age. Okay, so here we are. Today's message has been brought to you by the letter J for Jesus and the number 38. It's all over the place. And our little guy, Simon, you know, we, we, we connect with that because we subscribe to a theology, an understanding of God that says there is a reason for everything and nothing happens outside the will of God and the knowledge of God. He didn't wake up one day and say, oh no, that kid was born with a disease. I better do something about that. No, we know that whatever God does and whatever he chooses to do is part of his grand plan so that his works can be displayed in us. The works in John chapter 9 is the same as what Jesus mentioned about God working in John chapter 5. It's the handiwork of God. So we know that the problems and the issues and the challenges and the infirmities that we have in life are an opportunity to see the handiwork of God. We know that anytime God chooses to heal, it's an opportunity to see the handiwork of God. The work of God might be miraculous healing from a disease or it might be powerful ministry in spite of a disease. We're okay either way. Because we know that God's got a plan and that everything is an opportunity for him to display who he is. 38 years, that's how long the man waited. 38 years. There's another inference made by that number. It's the fact that Deuteronomy chapter 2 verse 14 says that Israel wandered around the wilderness outside of Egypt on their way to the promised land for, you guessed it, 38 years. And any good Jew who heard that number and who knew the man waited for 38 years, they would have immediately equated it with the fact that their ancestors had wandered around desperately needing God to show up for them for a period of 38 years. And if they connected that this Jesus who healed this man, like Moses and Joshua, helped heal 
heal and restore a people, if they would have connected the dots between prophecies from Isaiah and Malachi that said that a savior was gonna come and provide healing, then they would have realized that this guy belonged to God and that God sent him to save them from much more than their physical limitations, but he came to save them from sin. And some of them realized that and they followed Jesus. But others didn't and they persecuted Jesus. What about you? Does the miraculous way that God healed in scripture make you want to know and follow him? Does a story like Amy's of miraculous healing make you want to know and understand him? Does a healing episode in your life or in the life of somebody else that you know, does it inspire you to want to know the God of this universe better and to follow him more every single day with your life? Not because of what you might get from him, because of what you find in him. You see, Jesus didn't just come to tell us what shoes to buy. He came to change the way we put our shoes on. He's the expert. And everything that he does and even the things that he doesn't do are an opportunity for us to see the handiwork of God in life so that we might change who we are and follow him. Why are you here? Maybe it's because of something we desperately want from God. Or maybe it's because you've realized that the source of life can only be found in God. He's healer because he can make you walk. But he's also healer because he can make you think. He's healer because he can forgive the sin that's wrong with us. And he's healer because he can change everything about us. He's healer because he wants to display God's glory and show us who he is introducing us to his father. He's healer not just because he can help us see. He's healer because he can help us see God. I struggle with an, an application for a passage like this. I hope it's just that, wow, we're a people who now know God and his word a little bit better than those who came in before. But ultimately, I know it's because we've been called to respond to God and his word because of what we experience and see in his word through Jesus. And today, I think that response is worship. And sometimes worship is singing songs, which we'll do. And it's telling God how great he is, which he is. And, and sometimes it's just adjusting our life to live obediently to him. Um, at once, the man followed Jesus and picked up his mat and walked, even though it was the Sabbath. I, I think that that kind of obedience can transpire in us too, in, in whatever way God is calling you to respond to him today. Maybe it's just to tell him, Jesus, I see you. I know what you're capable of. Here's what I need from you and whether you give it to me or not, I'm gonna trust you and follow you more because I believe that you alone are the expert. I don't wanna live my life with my own choices anymore because I'm gonna fail and choose wrong. I, I wanna live my life after you, being changed by you, being led by you, being directed by you, trusting in the expert that you are. 
We're going to stand and we're going to worship. Men and women will be on the sides of the auditorium offering prayers to anyone who might like to collectively pray for healing in our life. But ultimately, my prayer for us is that today would be a day when we come to the God of this universe and we say to his son, Jesus, I trust you. You're the expert. I trust you. You alone can bring healing and correction and life to the areas of my life that are dead and wrong and not good. And we need that from you today, God. Hey everyone, thanks again for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed the service and we wanna encourage you to reflect on today's message throughout the week. Here at Rolling Hills, our goal is to raise up a community of disciples to be the hands and feet of Christ. And we hope that you will partner with us in doing so. How do you do that? Well, here are several ways. First, join us every Sunday, either online or at one of our physical locations. Join us as we worship our God and learn more about Him and His plan for us. Second, get connected. Check out our Next Steps page on the site to find out how you can engage with us further by serving or joining a community group. And lastly, we want to invite you to partner with us financially. You can do that online through the giving section of our site. All tithes and offerings go to support our ministries both locally and internationally, enabling us to impact lives and share God's Word. Again, we are so glad you joined us today. Have a great week.